morning everyone hello welcome to friday or those who are listening on the recording maybe it's not friday for you but it's a another time that you set aside for for your time with tea and for your practice so welcome to that time whenever it might be this month we are exploring everything that it means to be in a place to create a place and to dwell here with more intention and with more consideration for what supports us, what helps us feel comfortable in our place, and also acknowledge what is um, uncomfortable about place that we're in, right? What is, uh, you know, the, the boundaries of that? Uh, and how do, we, how do we reconcile with that? Especially in a time where we may not have very many choices in the various ways that we would normally flow in and out and through spaces, right? And today's practice is, uh, this is a topic I think that for, for both Adam and I, we are both really, um, I don't know, kind of enamored with this subject. It's, <laughs> it's clearly one that it has a lot of special meaning for us. And uh, today's practice is exploring the altar space. And so as we're getting started, maybe gathering up, you know, not just your tea things that you would like for your practice and getting your hot water heated, but giving some consideration to not only where in your space right now that you are practicing tea and your orientation in that room, but anything else that you would like to invite into the practice that for you seems it is distinctly there for that purpose. It's there to support you. Right? It's there to complement the practice. And it doesn't even matter if we have words for that or an explanation you don't need to i mean it's just for you <laughs> you know you don't need to explain it to anybody why it's there it could truly be just about anything and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later but just as some ideas you know maybe it's a candle maybe it's a rock or something that is from travels something that reminds you of people it could be a placemat that your tea is on and it could also be something that is a physically slightly removed space, right? So a, an actual set aside altar space where we place these offerings, these little reminders uh, for ourselves. So anything that you feel that you would like to call into the space today with and practice, please go ahead and bring that in. And then once you feel set up, once you feel settled and ready to go, Let's go ahead and make ourselves to where we're sitting. So back to our seat, comfortably adjusting where we're sitting so that we are fully comfortable on that cushion or in that chair, wherever we are. And taking some careful time to Really be thoughtful for how we land and how we settle on this, this little seat here. So if we're sitting in a chair or on the couch, maybe our legs are folded up underneath us, or maybe our feet are on the floor. And if the feet are separated, just making sure that both feet are resting on the floor we can feel contact with the surface underneath. And 
if we have our legs curled up underneath us. Just noting if we might like a blanket or something that'll help keep us warm. Just letting our awareness settle into the parts of the lower part of the body that are making contact with another surface. So that might be the tops of the feet, the ankles, the shins, backs of the thighs, or seat. Just noticing that little gentle pressure and that contact, that steadiness as we're sitting. And internally just following those sensations up through the lower half of the body now into the middle part of the body and as we go just making any little adjustments to help us feel more comfortable and stable where we're at so seeing if we can soften the tailbone the lower back One way that can help with this is to just very gently bring our awareness to the lower belly and draw the lower belly in a little bit. It has this kind of lovely co-relationship with the lower back that when we draw in the lower belly just a little bit, often the lower back softens. Starts to go down a little bit, helps to ease some of that over curving that we can engage in throughout the day. Bring our awareness to the middle back and the area between the shoulder blades and probably a space that we don't think about a whole lot. A space that moves as we breathe and also supports the heart from the back. Resting our awareness in the heart center. And this is as much as comfortable for you physically. Just acknowledging that depending on the time of day we're practicing it, we might still feel a little stiff and just kind of warming up. We're tired, but allowing some softening to happen through the whole of the front of the body and the heart center. Softening the shoulders. Opening the area just below the collarbones. Imagining just warmth and softness just across this whole area. Encouraging a radiance forward in our orientation to our space. That comes from the back side of the body that begins between the shoulder blades, counteracting a curling inward that we tend to do. Notice if any of these little micro movements affect the way that we're breathing. What does it feel like to take an inhale and an exhale? 
to just really feel the texture of each inhale and exhale and playing with it in whatever way feels nice for you right now. So if it needs to be a little, a little deeper, a little slower, a little noisier. Just taking a few breaths and just noticing how the breath feels in the body. As we sit and just settle into this moment in this space where we're at, observing what it feels like to rest and to pause during our day, let's expand our awareness, our sensory perception beyond just ourselves and our physical body to start to include the other elements in our space. And in this awareness expanding, this might be simply just either looking at those items that we have called into this space, just letting the eyes rest on them. It may also be just an awareness of physically where are they in relationship to you? How close do they seem? Are they close enough to affect you? Are they close enough to shift or change the energy in your space, however subtle, just simply by being there? And consider the same thing for your tea as well as we're about to begin with our tea practice itself. Just notice, what does it feel like to have the bowl there and the waiting tea? Is it close enough to you that you can feel that presence? And if not, feel free to move it. Bring it closer to you. And when you feel ready, we can pick up our tea that waits for us, bring it close in, hold it for a moment between our two hands. We can invite in a different way of moving with our tea so as to elevate the significance of what we're doing. Sometimes in an altar practice, that's really what it's about is just elevating those elements and their importance and their significance to you. And so what does it feel like to hold your tea with both hands and to bring it close in? And then now bringing the tea to our nose and breathing over those leaves. What does it feel like to breathe in this way with your tea? 
one might imagine being at the doorway to a temple and pausing to notice the incense. This is a sense of welcome and a sense of waiting and anticipation. And then when you feel ready, giving yourself some tea, offering it to your bowl and doing so in a, a gesture that feels slow and intentional. So notice what it feels like to pick up the leaves with the fingertips, perhaps a different way of making tea than we normally do using spoons or other implements, but pick up with the fingertips and slowly drop into the bowl. Maybe even just letting them kind of run through the fingertips as we do so. Just pausing for a moment to observe that little transition, that offering moment before setting your tea down and then making any movement that you need to get your hot water. And as you get the hot water, perhaps imagine for yourself that if this were your tea temple and you were moving through to get sacred water. How would you move in that space? What kind of slowness would you enjoy and stillness? The awareness of the significance of what you do to get the water to offer to the tea and to yourself. And call in that kind of movement now. Settling back on your chair once you have your hot water, just pausing. And before, whenever you're ready, slowly adding water over the leaves in your own way that feels intentional and significant. We are observing the beauty of the water. And consider who is that beauty for? What is this beauty and appreciation for slowness and presence? Who is that for? And of course it is for you. It is an offering in your world. So this allows us a chance to come back to this present moment. So we set our kettle down we pause to just observe the tea softening. Observing also anything else that we have invited into our temple today. That we are offering to ourselves, to our practice, into the world that inspires us. If it feels comfortable to do so, and if we have arranged our tea in a way that we can do so, we can take our hands and place them either alongside the bowl, 
resting the backs of the hands on the table with the palms face up or cupping the bowl if that feels warming and comforting or just leaving a little bit of space between the bowl and the inside of the hand if it's still a little toasty. And as we wait for the tea and we watch the tea, we can remind ourselves that this waiting is part of the practice too. So it's not a transition point. It's not something that is acknowledged and then we just move on to the next thing. The patience and the waiting is the whole part of the practice. It's the heart of it. In the same way that the altar space is the heart of a practice space. It's not something we just acknowledge upon entry and then move on. And so if you have carved out a little space for yourself for your practice today, as we are practicing in patience with our tea, just allowing the eyes to rest on whatever you have invited in with you. Taking your time, each item one at a time Appreciating its color and tone of the material that it's made from, whether that is smooth and cool like metal, softened and textured and warm like wood. Earthy ceramic, brilliant glass. What are those items? Just watches the light of your environment, complements them. Maybe the light melts over them and creates spaces of illumination and spaces of shadow. Or maybe you have candlelight in your space right now and there's flickering and kind of a glittering of the light on your items. And as you look at them, where do they take you? Full permission here to let the mind wander. Where do they take you? And can you be in that moment in your heart and in your mind and at the same time present in your body and in this current moment with your tea feeling the warmth of the tea in your hands and the patience of the waiting tea in the rest of your body Whenever it feels like it's an okay temperature to do so, we can lift our tea bowl and bring it to our nose. Enjoy the fullness of the fragrance here. This opportunity to take in new fragrance here in our temple this morning.
noticing how the breath moves in the body as we inhale and where the breath goes as we exhale. And if the temperature seems okay, we can take a sip of our tea. Noticing how what was created externally, what was offered on the outside, now comes inside. And so where do you notice that first sip of tea resonating the most in the body? Where does it rest? Where does that warmth go? What does it feel like to just pay attention to that warmth? And the practice is taking a sip of tea and pausing to just observe where it goes in the body, where it goes in the mind, just moving at our own pace and time. And we open our mind and we open our heart to notice where we go as we sip this tea. So rather than judging ourselves for where we go and thinking it's supposed to be in a particular way or particular space, a particular sense of having no thoughts and being empty, we just allow ourselves to notice what we need to pay attention to. Where do we go? Where does this tea take us? With the kind of reverence that we show as we look at the items on our altar in our space. As we sip our tea and enjoy this unfolding of this story of where this tea came from and how it was made, how it offers itself in this present moment in our space, in our little temple. This is a chance to consider that the present moment is not just the items and the beings and everything about this current moment, this time, whatever we want to call time. It's also being present with the thoughts that come up, the places that we go, where the tea calls us to appreciate beauty and reverence, and allowing ourselves to go there. The altar reminds us to not shut those things out. And so as we drink our tea, we're learning ways to not shut those things out. The tea is almost like a liquid altar practice. It is making something that in any other context could be seen as 
an object, a foodstuff, a thing, and animates it and makes it living, makes it special, makes it sacred. Just by observing our relationship to them. So now wherever you are with your bowl of tea, just take a moment to just observe how you feel in this moment now. Just pausing. How are you in your body? What does it feel like to breathe? To move slowly and to move in a way that is different, that is special than how we might do in the rest of our day. What is that sense of creating something temporary? A little pop-up in your day. What does that do for you? Enjoying a few breaths together, just on your own rhythm, whatever feels nice. Inhale to whatever depth and expansion feels comfortable. And exhale to whatever length and whatever depth feels comfortable. And taking a few more breaths just like that. Filling your space, being in your space.
I'd like to start my share today by thanking Suze for just such a beautiful um, 30 minutes. I was just really transported here. This is uh, my friend. Uh, for those that are listening, I'm showing this sort of goldy bronze colored octopus uh, that lives with me. And um, I'm actually not sure about their name quite yet. And I've been, I'm someone that likes to name things that I live with. Uh, it was interesting, <clears throat> my, my former partner and I had a, an interesting like disagreement about this, philosophical disagreement. Uh, I, I would ask her like, oh, what's the name of this plant? Uh, she was really um, connected to, to plants and brought many into our home. And uh, she would always sort of bristle at that question. Like she didn't like to name uh, them because for her the naming felt kind of like a confining of the majesty of these organic beings, you know, that don't, that don't appear to participate in language games the same way that, that humans do. Um, and uh, totally makes sense to me. And at the same time, uh, I'm naming everything. I'm naming stones that I live with and plants and uh, my octopus teacher here. And um, <clears throat> I, I thought I would show um, this octopus because uh, it has eight limbs, tentacles, eight tentacles. Uh, and as many of you might know, in the classical yoga of Patanjali, there are uh, eight limbs. Uh, it's known as Ashtanga yoga, eight limb. And when I first encountered the teaching of the eight limbs, they were presented uh, as a kind of sequence. Like you start with these yama and niyama, these um, what are essentially ethical practices. Uh, and then you move into physical body practices, and then you move into, and you know, it, it does make sense because the system is more subtle, each limb is a bit more subtle than the next. Uh, and so by the fourth limb, you're looking at uh, turning of the sensory channels back in on themselves, and then these sequentially um, more refined aspects of meditative awareness are the last uh, three limbs. And what that, teaching something like that as a goal-oriented system has uh, some problems built into it. Um, it tends to make students of yoga covet these very subtle, magical states of awareness. And uh, there's, a, there's a paradox there because uh, whatever those states might be, it seems like they require a kind of discipline to achieve and yet striving for them will push you in the other direction. It's a little bit like when I teach breathing practices and uh, we're working on slowing down the breath, for example. But if you work too hard at slowing down the breath, 
the breath gets shorter. <laughs> and so it's this tricky, it's this tricky sort of push-pull, give-receive, uh, place-be-placed that we have in relationship with these studies. And Richard Freeman, a really brilliant yoga teacher that I've had the good fortune to study with, suggested that we think about the eight limbs as the eight limbs of a spider, uh, or perhaps an octopus. And in order for the octopus to, uh, to move through the world, all, all of its limbs are involved. And to conceive of the eight limbs of classical yoga in that way is to suggest that these higher, higher states of uh, awareness and concentration are actually natural functions of the mind that, uh, that are with us in our daily lives. The, the last limb is known as samadhi. And uh, it's a hard concept to translate, but I think Suze gave us a really nice foundation to understand it. When, she, uh, when they asked, is, it, is the tea or is the object that we're looking at close enough for us to feel its presence? And when we talk about meditative awareness, we're often talking about the subject ourselves in relationship with an object of meditation, whether that's a candle flame or literally anything that you decide to focus on. And we're in relationship with that object and through relationship we get closer and closer and closer and at some point the distance seems to disappear. And is there a more beautiful example of that than sipping the tea? And as this tea being comes into the body and it merges with us, it's just such a beautiful example of what it means to enter this state of mind that is aware of our connection of our interdependence, of our, of our interbeing. The word proximity has become very important to me, and I think to, to so many of us um, that have been awakened to the, uh, the profound struggles of the many people uh, in our culture who are uh, displaced from the center of power, uh, that people speak into the cultural space about their experience. And I've really heard this call from visionary thinkers that are not uh, embodied in a body like mine, that they really need me to get proximate. They need people like me to get close enough to their experience to understand that it is part and parcel of my own, to, 
to see their path through the world as a as a as a limb of this larger octopus and so when i think about the placement of objects in my home i'm thinking about uh, all of these in relationship when i look around uh, at the what I, what I might call the dispersed altar of my living room. It's not like there's a single spot, but all around me are these resonant objects. And what I've found is that the more resonant the object is, the more I enjoy placing it in a very particular way. Uh, and when I look at them, some of them are natural objects that I've um, received from, from traveling. And sometimes the travels are very short, just a few blocks to the lakefront. Uh, sometimes the travels are epic. Many of the things I have here are, have been gifted to me by uh, beloved people in my life. And uh, some of them are things that I have purchased, like my octopus teacher, that, uh, that for me reflect an aspect of my own studies, something that I want to remember. And so when I look around this space, it's, um, I feel it's a bit like how I imagine some people use Facebook. Like some people post a lot of life experience on Facebook. And I think they do that so that they have this kind of archive of their, of their journey. And so for me, that's what this space is too. Each of these is a bit, little bit like a, like a Facebook post. <laughs> All of the objects in my room right now are like, really? That's, that's really, that's how you're going to analogize us? Well, that's what's coming through. <laughs> and um, particularly as a person that lives in solitude, you know, it feels really important for me to be surrounded by friendship. Uh, and... I think the last piece that I want to add to this space today uh, is one of the, the, a little, a very brief reflection on the word vinyasa that many of you might be familiar with uh, from our, our uh, physical yoga culture here. Uh, vinyasa is, is often referred to in yoga studios, uh, as like the classes that involve a lot of dynamic movement. And it's popularized within uh, contemporary yoga schools as the practice of synchronizing the breath and the body. It's usually what it means colloquially in our, in our yoga culture here. But uh, to return to uh, my teacher, Richard Freeman, from whom I learned that the root of that word, like if we were to translate vinyasa, it would mean something like to place in a special way. The half of that word, nyasa, means like to place. And in uh, Vedic, like religious tradition, nyasa is part of the practice of like placing things devotionally um, in what we might call a temple or an altar space. 
but those of us that have uh, these somatic uh, spiritual practices, you know, all of that external placement is also done internally. And so that's what's so interesting to note about vinyasa, that in a sense, it's a way of creating an altar of the body and uh, practicing placing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, let's see, uh, Richard Freeman's name is spelled as it sounds, uh, free man. And uh, yeah, I love, I love uh, all of his available recordings and I'd recommend, if his name's on it, I'd recommend it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And I referred to the, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali today, uh, a very famous uh, text that primarily deals with the, well, maybe primarily is not true, but I, I suppose as, con as a contrast to physical practice, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali is primarily uh, focused on psychological aspects of yoga practice. And uh, it has some really beautiful introductions to how these traditions frame uh, cognition. So uh, there are a million versions of the Yoga Sutras. And uh, if you want, if you really want to study, I actually recommend getting a couple different translations and comparing them. Um, if I feel like there was a correction. I was thinking, oh, this is the second week in a row that I, I need to make a correction to something oh. that I said after I said it. But hmm. I'm blanking on what it is at the moment. Um, if you want to tell me what it was, you can reach me at. <laughs> I mean, you know, encourage oh, that oh, listener I engagement. <laughs> I do remember. I, I sort of in passing referred to the turning of the senses inward as being of the fourth limb of the eight limbed practice. And it's it's the fifth limb. The uh, the fourth the fourth limb is pranayama and that. That fifth limb I was referring to, the turning of the senses inward, is known as pratyahara, and it's a super interesting concept. Um, okay, yeah, you can reach me at info at adamgrassi.com. Um, my last name is G-R-O-S-S-I. I'm also active on Instagram at adamgrassi, and my website is just adamgrassi.com.
nice and consistent. <laughs> it's it's nice where everything lines up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Similarly, you can find me on all places being T. Uh, my website's being T. My Instagram is being T. My email is suze at being T.com. Uh, tea and Contemplation is offered as a live studio session every Friday. We meet at 8 a.m. Central Time. And some of what we get to do in this space, actually, we all get to see each other. Um, we get to see Adam's octopus friend. <laughs> 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 we get to see your tea bowls. We get to see our altar spaces and, and share these things. So it's a really beautiful communal kind of practice. And so if you would like to be in company while you are doing your teen contemplation practice, you're more than welcome to join us for a session. We have information about that in our show notes. Just click the link. Boop, boop. And we will see you next time. <laughs>